Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're starting our series called Feels Like Home. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Our series is called Feels Like Home. Uh, Many of you remember the movie, The Wizard of Oz. And in that movie, you have Dorothy Gale, little Dorothy who, at the early part in the movie, she is running for her life from a, from a tornado that's sort of vacuuming its way through, through Kansas. And, uh, and, and a shutter from a window, I believe, gets, gets you know, pulled loose and it's flying through the air and it strikes Dorothy in the head and she, and she enters this unconscious state. And in her unconscious state, she enters this dream world. She's transported to Munchkin land and she lands in the land of Oz. And uh, if you know the story, she lands there and she meets three friends and she's going to help these three friends. So she's going to go see the Wizard of Oz. And uh, this whole journey is taking place in her injured state. And at the end of this, uh, this movie, Dorothy wants to go back home. She, wants to be, she, she loves the people of Oz, but she, she wants to go home. And if you remember that, that scene, you have Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, is there. And, and, and uh, she's teaching Dorothy how to get back home. And Dorothy, with her ruby red slippers, has got them together. And she's clicking her heels together. And she's saying these words that I know you know. She's saying, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And in that part of the movie... Dorothy is transported from the technicolor world of Oz and returns to the sepia tone colors of Kansas um, and wakes up from her injury. And there's all these familiar faces that are around her. And truly, she has an appreciation for her family. And she's so grateful to be back home. There's something in us that longs for home. I remember when I was working in San Francisco at United Parcel Service, UPS, that, you know, much like many of you, my life was measured by reports, by metrics, by productivity, by customer satisfaction. One day, you could be feeling really good. The next day, you could be feeling really down. It was just sort of hinged on performance. And I remember in those years with my young family that after work was over, I'd drive home. It was about a 45-minute commute if there was no traffic, an hour and a half that there was traffic. And I would use that time to try and decompress before I got home. But then I'd pull into the driveway of our house, and the kids, our two girls at that time, would hear me pull into the driveway, and they would come running out of the house, and their feet are pitter-pattering on the driveway, and arms extended, and they'd wrap them around me, and there was just something that was just so beautiful, this inner awe that I would experience, because Dorothy got it right. There is no place like home. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of that place. And by the way, some of you, um, you didn't have the blessing of of a place like that, uh, that you didn't get a chance to grow up in a place like where This place of of security, this place where your name is known and that you're nurtured and cared for. But I do believe, whether you had that experience or not, there is a longing in each and every one of us to have a home a place where we can let our guard down. In fact, I asked our staff here recently if they would uh, just give me, they would answer some questions here as it relates to what, what words, what phrases would you use to describe a place that, uh, that you would call home? What are some of the phrases, what are some of the adjectives 
that you'd use to describe home. Here's, here's some of the things they said. They said, home is a place of security. Home is knowing where things are. Isn't that true? It's like you, you know where the spoons are. You ever been to someone's house or someplace else, and um, you, know, you have no idea, you're opening all the drawers, and it looks like you're just kind of going through their house. And not only do you know where things are, you know where things are supposed to be. Um, and, and the team also said, Here's, home is where you know what, what day the garbage needs to be taken out. It's a place you feel safe, and you can drop your guard. It's a haven. Home is where you can belch and people congratulate you. (laughs) Home is where you can ask someone to rub your feet. Home is where you can tell your stories to people who you know will appreciate them. It's where you are known. It's where I don't have to wear makeup. I'm sure that came from Brian Candelo. Um, (laughs) It's familiar. It's where you're accepted. It's where you rest. It's where people love you and admire you. There is no place like home. Now, some of you are blessed to have that sort of experience in your own home, but some of you, many of you know that there are places that you have been, there are communities that you are a part of in which you would use those same words to describe that place. It's not home, but you go there and it feels like home. Uh, you would use some of those, some of those same descriptive phrases. It's, it's a haven. It's secure. You know where things are. For Trina and I, we have some good friends who live in Hood River. Their names are Tony and, uh, and Tanya. And uh, they've opened up their house to us uh, multiple times. I mean, it's almost like we have our own bedroom there if we, if we want to. We always sleep in the same room. And uh, we know where things are. We know where the coffee pot is. Uh, we know how to make our way around there. They've told us to make ourselves feel at home. And it feels like home. Contrast that to a place where you feel like you're walking on eggshells. Or maybe you got your kids with you, and you're so nervous because you're afraid they're going to break something. You're afraid they're going to move something. And people are, are, they're edgy. It's like stressful to even be in that place. Uh, There's something that just warms the heart about going somewhere that feels like home. Now, here's my question for us today as we start this series. What would it take for a place like this to feel like home for people, for you, for me, for for those who aren't even coming here yet? What would it take for a church to be a place that feels like home? And then then we just put the challenges there in front of us. We we have a pretty big family. I mean, look around. This is one of five services. There are a lot of people who call this church their home. But the reality is, is it may not feel like home for many people. The, the, the phrases, the descriptions that I read may not be experiences that, that, that they have yet. What would it take for this place to feel like home? That's a question I want to give a shot at answering. And I want to do that by looking at a church that's described in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. No sweat there. There's a Bible in front of you in the pew rack. And if you went to page 1,721, you'd find the page that I'm going to read from here pretty quickly. And if you go to page 1,721, the far right-hand column, there's a little subtitle there. It says, The Believers Form a Community. Um, That's the section I'm going to be reading. But a little background first. There's uh, this, this new church that's 
uh, been formed. Pentecost has happened. God's poured out his spirit, and Peter has preached on that day. And the church grows very quickly. In fact, verse 41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added, and added to the church that day, about 3,000 of them in all. 3,000 people, a church a little bit smaller than us. But then listen to the words that are used to describe this fairly large church. Verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here's what I want to do. I just want to just sort of like an outsider look at this church and make some some observations. There's three of them I want to make. The first one is this. As I look at this church, I would say this church is theological. The, The church is theological. I mean, you see that from the very beginning. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What are the apostles' teaching? What are the disciples' teaching? Well, if you remember Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. So they're teaching this new church the things that Jesus taught them. They're sharing their experiences with Jesus with this new church community. So the church is is theological. Um, They're they're sitting at the apostles' feet. They're learning. And here's what's going on here is is that the, the apostles know very well that when you have an accurate understanding of who Christ is, when you've let go of false narratives of who God is and embraced the true narrative of who Christ is, good, true doctrine will lead to doxology. An accurate understanding of who God is leads to worship. And so the early church embodied this. And by the way, this is why we think this is so important. This is why we teach. Another shameless plug. This is why we do Bible study series. Because we, we think that it's very important. The church is theological. We're starting a series in October um, on the Beatitudes. It's one of, of Christ's famous sermons. The series is called Blessed Are the Weird. I think we can relate, right? And, and the reason we do it is because the church is theological. That's an observation we pull right here from Acts chapter 2. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. The church is missional. The church, is, the church is on mission. They're reaching people. The last verse there that I read you says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. We've got 3,000 plus people who are followers of Christ. And now every single day, people are being added to the church. The good news of the gospel is hitting the streets of Jerusalem. The church is theological and the church is missional. But it wasn't their programs specifically, that were reaching people in Jerusalem. Didn't have a free clinic. They, they weren't delivering you know, meals to the homeless. They, they, they didn't have any of that. Now, that stuff would come. But the third thing I want you to notice gave birth to a missional church. It's this. The church is relational. 
The church is theological, deeply committed to solid theology about who Christ is. The church is on mission. But if you notice, as I read, the church is highly relational. Listen to some of the things that they're doing. It says that they're meeting together in one place. They're sharing everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared with the money with those in need. They're, they're sharing meals. They're, they're meeting in, in the temple and meeting in homes. There's this, this sense that they're, that they're all connected to each other. The church is theological, the church is missional, and the church is relational. And I believe that the reason that the early church became an unstoppable force in its day, I believe that the reason the church had people added to their numbers on a daily basis was because they were so relational, they were caring for each other in such a way, it felt felt so much like home, that people from the outside were looking in and saying, I've never seen anything like that, and I've got to be part of that. And in some cases, theology and mission came later. Now, I have an experience as a a kid growing up attending a church that I I would describe as a church that uh, felt like home. Um... It, uh, it was in, in, in Hong Kong, China. In my house, we can sit on the coffee table. Uh, in, 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 uh, in Hong Kong, China, and it was called Kalantong Alliance Church. Kalantong Alliance Church, uh, you, I'd go to the church as there was a kid, and they had these pews, and um, I'm pretty sure that they were wooden pews. If they had padding, it was pretty thin, because I remember as a kid shifting a lot in church, and you know, kind of hoping that we can get out of these pews. And, you know, it, the, the church didn't feel like home because they had really comfortable seats. Nor did it feel like home because, um, you know, because it was really, you know, the, the atmosphere in there is really comfortable. It, you know, it's hot and humid in Hong Kong, and that church did not have air conditioning. It had these sort of slap windows on the side and had these oscillating fans, you know, positioned strategically by those windows to blow in more hot and humid air. And half of them worked, half of them didn't. Um, and so it didn't feel like home because it was nice and cool and comfortable in the church. Um, it, it didn't feel like home because of, of the sermons. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I don't remember one. I don't remember one sermon, which has got me a bit conflicted about what I do. Uh, <laughs> not one message do I remember. Some of the things I do remember is that on the platform, uh, sort of towards the back, they had these chairs which people sat in that were participating in the service. And the chairs on the sides, on the two ends, kind of had very low backs on them. And they sort of just grew taller to the, to the center. And the one in the center had this throne-like back to it. And that's, that's the chair that the preacher sat in that morning. I, I never knew what that was all about. Um, and then the other thing I remember is, and, and one of the things I, I loved was the, the, the benediction. The same guy, each week, an older guy would shuffle his feet and make his way up to the front of the church as we were closing. And he would do the same benediction over and over again, week after week. And I loved it. I loved it not because it was the, the words of the benediction. I loved it because it meant church was done. <laughs> and he'd say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Week in, week out, that's how the service ended. It's from number six. It's a priestly blessing. But then something magical happened. (laughs) The side doors on the church would open, and we would exit through the side doors And the next service would come in through the front doors, and we would go out into this patio 
behind the, 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 the sanctuary, and there was soda, and there were cookies, and we would eat cookies, and we would drink pop, and we'd run around the, this, this area with our friends, and I remember our youth pastor, Bob Purdy, and hanging out with him and talking with him, and, and we'd hang out there for over an hour just engaging, and we'd drink more soda and have more cookies, and we just, we just loved it, and, and that is what made that church for me feel like home. Now, some of you are going, that's kind of shallow, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's what made a church feel like home? Friends, when you understand that a church is intended to be theological, to have a right understanding of who Christ is, and a church is to be on mission introducing people to Christ, and that a church is to be highly relational, cookies and soda is something we need to enjoy more of. Because what happens is it gets us interacting and relating to one another. One author, one pastor has put the, put, captured the early church this way. I said this, the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. This was the unstoppable force of the early church. It's, it's so funny because sometimes I'll talk to small group leaders or community group leaders and I, I'll tell them, stop studying for one weekend. Just have a meal together. Play a game together. Just find out what's happening in each other's lives. And there's this sort of blank stare because there's this idea that we should spend our time learning more information. And I'm not saying information is, is bad. I, I, obviously, you know, we, we, have, we, have, we believe good, great theology. We, we, we want great theology. We want to know who God is and grow in our relationship with him. We want to be on mission but friends, why could we ever think of devaluing sharing a meal with one another? In fact, one of my best small group experiences was where we would, once a month, we would not do any studying. Everyone would bring food. We'd share dinner together, and then we'd have communion at the, at the end of that dinner. There were big chunks of bread, and there was stuff that looked like juice that wasn't juice. And we used that too. <laughs> and we had a great time of being together, just relating to each other. Don Bubna, former pastor of Sam Lyons Church, uh, just played a significant part in the growth of our church. Don, one time, when I first became lead pastor, I asked him, I pulled him aside, Don, <laughs> give me some wisdom. I, I didn't have a notepad. I was just listening very carefully to him, and he said this. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, Steve, and you need to remember this. The most spiritual activity, the most spiritual thing a church will do, dramatic pause by Don, most important thing a church will do together is eat. And then he said, I prefer ice cream. <laughs> something happens when we eat together. Yet there's something in our mind that, no, 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 it's got to be about theology. Or, no, 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 it's got to be what we do and about mission. And I think what we can observe from the early church is that, yes, theology is important. Yes, mission is important. But people matter to Christ. And the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. A chunk of them have to do with humility, which really helps when you're in a relationship with somebody. Another big chunk is practical, practical, specific information about how to relate to each other. Be patient, bear one another's burdens, care for one another. Another chunk is about how to love one another. And this, friends, was being lived out in the early church. And people looked in and saw it, and they said, I want a home like that. And they came, and they found a home.
So what would it take for this place to be a place that feels like home? A couple practical things, then we'll wrap up. First one is this. You need to find some people to one another. You need a small group community. You need uh, a community group. You need, you need a men's group. You need a, a women's You need some place of community where you can one another one another, where you can love, where you can care. And that takes initiative. That takes courage. And, and that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and, and so you, you, you just need those people. You, you need practical ways to one another one another. The second thing, we can stop. Can you go back? Well, we can leave that there. It's okay. If your church experience is looking at the back of someone else's head or sitting in rows, you're having a bad church experience. Because that, that's just a small part, even though I'm going to get to it here. Because I think the second thing we need, is, need to do is make being here a priority. It's committing being in this place, gathering together as a church family. Now, that sounds like a very self-serving thing for a pastor to say. We're not going to remember your sermons anyway, Steve. So what am I getting at here? And frankly, this can sound a little bit legalistic, right? Like God's got this big, giant, cosmic attendance chart, and he's putting stars for every weekend you come to church. And some might even say, well, that's just legalistic. Let me explain to you the difference between legalism and discipline. Legalism says, if I do these behaviors, God will be more pleased with me. Or if I don't do these behaviors, God will love me more. I'll be, I'll be more favorable to him. That's legalism. So sometimes it looks like if I pray every day, if I read my Bible every day, then God will like me more. Or that I'm performing for him. Discipline, on the other hand, says this. If I read my Bible 15 minutes a day, or I pray 15 minutes a day, it doesn't earn me status with Christ, but it sure postures me for spiritual growth. You see, being here with family is not about earning favor with Christ. It's about positioning yourself to grow in your relationship with Christ and with one another. It's a, an environment in which we can one another one another. So there's a huge difference, a heaven and earth difference between legalism and discipline. And I, let me just say to you, families, you're discipling your kids one way or another. You're teaching them the value of the family. And I'm not saying this to shame you or guilt you. Anyway, I mean, I've got four kids. I, I, I know the challenge of getting matching shoes on their feet and trying to get to church. I, I, I know. And I'm not saying that you've got to log in every weekend, but I'll tell you something. You're, dis, you're, you're discipling your kids one way or another, and one of the, the positive ways you can disciple them about who God's family is it's just being here as much as you can. We're not keeping score. We're not doing that stuff. It's just a matter of positioning yourself for spiritual growth. So make being here a commitment. Not for my sake, but for each other's. So we need, we need to one another, one another. We need to make being together as family. And we got it easy. The early church met in the temple every day. We're just doing it once a week. And they're meeting in houses as well. Let me just wrap up by telling you a story you've probably heard before of a guy named Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers. Lombardi, I heard it, amen? Did I hear it? Yeah. <laughs> Hope things go well for you today. Um, Lombardi 
his team lost to an inferior team one weekend, and he called a special practice the next day, which was unusual for him. And he had professional football players sitting in the locker room, and he took a football, and he held it up to them as he bore holes through their foreheads with his eyes, and as he gritted his teeth and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Gentlemen, this is a football. Now, I want you to think about kind of how insulting that is for a moment for professional football players. It's kind of like a duh moment. You'd be like standing before a, a gathering of librarians and holding up a book and saying, librarians, this is a book. Or photographers saying, that, you know, photographers, this is a camera. What's Lombardi doing? He, he's saying, gentlemen, this is a football. And when you forget what the basics of football are, you lose to inferior teams. And so he's calling the team back to the basics because when you grind out and you use the basics of the game, and if you stick to it, the ball moves up the field. And the Green Bay Packers won three consecutive championships. I, I, I wonder what Lombardi would have been like as a pastor. <laughs> I don't think he had high pastoral gifts. But this way, friends, this is the church. Now, these days, when you say that, it's kind of like Baskin Robbins, right? There's 31 flavors. Now, which kind? Is it the skinny jeans plunging v-neck church? Or is it the, you know, the no words on the screen church? Uh, what, you know, what kind of church are we talking about? Are we kind of the, the light candles hum church or the rock band church? You know, everyone's got their belief about what the right expression of the church is. Friends, this is the church. It's theological. It's missional. And it's highly relational. And the moment we devalue our relationships, we put in jeopardy mission and theology. And so we need one another. And so I want to challenge you because you got a part to play in this. And what it takes to make a church feel like home is us investing and making time for one another. Let's pray. Lord, relationships was all your idea. We broke our relationship with you. You made it possible for us to be reconciled to you. You chose us before we chose you. Actually, we didn't even choose you. Lord, you loved us even when we were in our sin rebelling against you. May that same love flow like a mighty river from this place into our city. May many people look at this family and go, that's something I've never seen before. I want to know more. For those of us who are already here, I ask and pray, Almighty God, that this could be a place that feels like home. Grant us courage, give us hearts for one another, and may you be pleased as we are the church. I pray this in your name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.